Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. that there are three different passages printed here and we're going to look at each of them successively so I'll just read the first one to begin with this morning Mark's Gospel chapter 10 we're coming to look at the topic of money Mark's Gospel chapter 10 and verse 17 and as he was setting out on his journey the Lord Jesus this is a man ran up and knelt before him And asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Amen. When we relate to God and when we come close to God and come close to the Lord Jesus, money is always in the picture. Now just, just pause for a moment to take that in. You, you, you might want to say, really? It's me and Jesus, we think, isn't it? It's me and my relationship with God, one to one. That's what we tend to think, isn't it? But from the Bible's perspective, there is no such thing as just you. There is you and your relationships to the people around you and to the things around you And one of those things is money. 
money matters. So we're going to have four sermons on things to do with money. Love this morning, contentment this evening, and example and people next Sunday. And there are lots of reasons for speaking about money. People come and go within the Trinity family all the time, and we always want to help folks who want to become part of the church family understand how they can give money to the life of the church. There are two particular things I want to commend to you this morning. These two leaflets that are at the back, uh, just the little table as you came in. The, The green one enables you to give by gift aid if you're setting up regular giving. Uh, if you're a taxpayer, it enables us to reclaim uh, money on that. And this white form is to do with our building project, a pledge form for contributing to our building project. The two main parts of Trinity Life are our general fund for all our regular uh, ministry costs and our building project that's ongoing. People want help all the time to know how to give. But I want to help us, particularly as we look at these passages together, to understand why we give why we give. I said at the very start, didn't I, in that notice that next Sunday morning we're returning to taking up an offering as part of our worship services morning and evening. Have you ever thought what a strange thing it is to come into a building and to have people pass a plate around or a bag around for money? Who does that these days? Maybe you're relieved COVID put paid to all that. We haven't been doing it for ages. Why bring it back? Here's another reason. Things with money are so bad right now, aren't they? Right? I think, I think you need to be a certain type of person with a certain type of income, I guess, to not be at least feeling the pinch of the way the world is right now. And some of us are struggling. Some of us are scared. And so I want us to see today that the first thing we always need to know about money is that it's not about the money. The money, the money. That's a song, isn't it? I'm not going to sing it. It's not about the money when it comes to the money. Christ's people never look at our money without first looking at him. So two attitudes today, two internal things today with our money to help us. Love and this evening contentment. I want to give us three principles about money this morning. They're all printed there for you on page page six. One from each passage. Here's the first one in what we just read together. Hands reveal hearts. Hands reveal hearts. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, the Lord Jesus is dealing with something that we hold on to that can keep us out of the kingdom. Riches, money, wealth. But look how lovingly, gently, Jesus probes this young man's heart by getting this man... How does he get him to look at his heart? He gets him to look at his hands, doesn't he? For Jesus is saying to him, what you hold in your hands reveals what your heart is treasuring. Look at the man's question in verse 17. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at, look at the answer, verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
Now, the the Lord Jesus here is quoting from what is known as the second table of the law or the second half of the Ten Commandments. Remember, Remember the first four commandments are vertical issues. The first four commandments are me and God issues. Do you remember them? Do not misuse God's name. Have no other gods before me. Do not make images. Do not misuse God's name. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is me and God vertically. But the ones Jesus quotes from here are second half of the table. They are horizontal issues. They are me and you and other people. And so, so verse 19, Jesus goes through them. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. And each time as Jesus is saying them, this man is saying, yep, check. Do not murder, check. Do not commit adultery, check. Never done that. Do not steal, never done that. No, sir, not me. So you see, Jesus is allowing this man to come to him and to present himself to Jesus as a lawkeeper at the horizontal level. But Jesus knows these are not the only commandments, doesn't he? Why does Jesus start in verse 19 with these commandments? Why does Jesus leave out the first four? These horizontal commandments are all quite easy to gauge, aren't they, as how we're doing with them and where we are with them. But what about the vertical dimension, the me and God dimension? Jesus exposes it for him now, doesn't he? Okay, he says, if you have kept all these commandments, let's say you're right, if you've kept all of these ones, then sell everything you have and give to the poor. And friends, this conversation is finished. It's over, isn't it? Look at verse 22. I think this conversation ends with this young man still outside the kingdom. Why? Because of his great possessions. That's what verse 22 says, isn't it? But the only reason his wealth kept him out of the kingdom is because, not because of the wealth, but because he loved it more than Jesus. What, what is the first commandment Jesus is saying to him? What is the first commandment? You shall have no other God before me. No other gods. None. I mean, here, maybe it's because of the way this man was dressed or the way that he spoke. Maybe he was known to Jesus. Somehow Jesus looks at him and can see that his hands are full of money. He's come to present his heart to Jesus and Jesus sees his hands. And because his hands are full of it, Jesus knows his heart is full of it and it is full of more of these things than love for God. I can keep the horizontal level ticking over just fine, Jesus. Just flat, that's no problems. But vertically, you, God, and me, you before all of this, And the look, imagine the look on the young man's face, verse 22, disheartened. No can do, sorry, I'm off. Oh, how hard it is, Jesus says, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Friend, when you go home today, you might as well try and fit your car through your keyhole in your front door. 
Try, try and squeeze your car through your door keyhole at lunchtime. That is how hard it is for someone with money to end up loving me more than money, Jesus is saying. That's how hard it is. Hands reveal hearts. It doesn't have to be money, does it? It could be something else. But the principle is the same. What we are holding always reveals what we are beholding. What we are holding always reveals what we're beholding, what, what we're captivated by, what we're gazing at. I think this passage says to us together today, do I have a part of my life where I'm effectively saying to the Lord Jesus, I love you, yes, I'm, I'm for you, I'm with you, I'm in church, I'm, I'm in house group, I'm, I'm a member, I'm a fan, but... This little bit over here is in a me box and I keep the key. Only I have access. My sexuality, my money, my ministry, my children. Here's the way to get at it, I think. What is it that makes you feel most safe? What is it that makes you feel most secure? What, what gives you the greatest pleasure so that if this thing were to be taken away from you, it would make you the most angry or the most upset? It will be a good thing, whatever it is. But Jesus is working here to recalibrate how your heart feels about it. Number one, friends, hands reveal hearts. Let's look at the second passage. Turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, cost reveals value. Chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people came and put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on. These few verses are a beautiful contrast, aren't they? The, the contrast between the rich crowds versus one poor widow. It's very important to see something here as you look at this story. The Lord Jesus is not here condemning people who give large amounts of money. We, we know that in the temple here, in the treasury, there were 13 huge money chests and Jesus is watching people coming to them and dropping their offering into these money chests. And maybe the rich were there for a long time, dropping in bag after bag, lots of money. Perhaps they're making a big show of it. But it is not wrong to spend a lot of money on God. Our building project that I mentioned over the years that our church family has given to in astonishing ways and others outside our fellowship that have helped us with some people to our building project have given a hundred thousand pounds and some people have probably only given ten or a hundred 
It is not wrong to give £100,000. You know, over the years, I've discovered a really amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever had this. I've discovered that, that people who aren't poor widows sometimes give like poor widows because of what they read here. They read here Jesus praising the, the widow's tiny giving. Ah, they say to me, yes. Ah, they say, do not despise the widow's might. And, and I'm left scratching my head looking at them saying, but you're not a widow. You're not a poor widow. The, 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 widow, the widow here is an example in, in what... She, she's not an example here in what she gives. No, she's an example in how she gives, isn't she? The, the rich man's mountain can be just as acceptable as the poor widow's might. See, here's the thing, very simply... In the divine exchange rate, things are not always as they seem. In the divine exchange rate with God, friends, things are not always as they seem. We see the 100,000, don't we? And we think, amazing. I do. But here's what we need to take in. For the Lord Jesus, the value of a gift is not the amount given, but the cost to the giver. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful thing Jesus sees here in what he says in verse 43, verse 44. The value of a gift is not the amount given, but the cost to the giver. That's what God values. How much does your giving cost you? It is cost that reveals value, not zeros. No, the, the problem with the people in verse 41 is, is not the large sums. No, the problem is when the £100,000 costs the giver nothing, isn't it? That's the problem. £100,000 sent by wire transfer and it has hardly left a hole in the bank account. And therefore it has hardly left a mark on the heart. That's the issue, isn't it? But, but that... The, the £10 that is given to the building fund or to, to a ministry that you love, the, the money that you give that costs you, that, that, that is a way of you saying, God, I am all in with you. I want to give to you. I'm giving in such a way that I don't actually know how I'm now going to do A, B and C later on in the month, but I love you and I want you to have this and I want them to have this. That kind of giving is a casting of ourselves wholly and entirely upon God. It has immense value to God. Do you know the story of the king and the carrot? I know I've told you before. It's a wonderful story that once there was a king and in his kingdom, a peasant farmer grew a carrot in his garden and he he looked at this carrot. It was the most amazing carrot he'd ever grown. So he took it to the king. He comes to the king and he says, Oh, king, my lord, my master, I've grown this carrot. It, it is the most wonderful carrot. It's a beautiful carrot. I want you to have it. The king takes the carrot in his hands and he says, What an amazing carrot. What a lovely, a lovely gift. For you, the poor peasant farmer, take a corner of my kingdom. And he upgrades him to an estate, a country estate, gives him more lands than he never imagined. And the nobleman standing off to the side sees the king and the carrot and he thinks, ha, if that's what you can get for a carrot. And a few days later he comes into the king's presence with a magnificent black stallion. 
Oh, my king, my master, here is a gift for you, the most wonderful horse that I've ever grown within my, uh, my whole empire. It's the best thing that I have, and I want to offer to you this magnificent horse. The king says, thanks very much, gets on the horse and rides off. And a few days later, the king sees this nobleman downcast, confused, and he says, listen, listen, he says, here's the, here's the thing. The peasant was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Isn't that right? That there is a kind of giving, isn't there, that is giving only to yourself, giving simply to you. And I think that kind of giving survives most, most easily in the ecosystem of big giving. I want to encourage us, friends, as a church family. I want to encourage you individually today. I want to encourage us to costly giving. To costly giving. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do because it means I'm not encouraging us to big giving. I mean, for some of us, costly giving will be numerically big giving. That is a wonderful thing. We need it. But to God, the value is not in the numerical size. it, It might be, but it's never solely that, is it? Can I say, friends, that right now, today, isn't the world terrified? You you cannot click on your your news feed without another story about the cost of living and rising prices and inflation. Right now, the world is terrified. Terrified of problems to do with money. What What are we going to do, the world is saying? And I want to say to us this morning that in seasons of life like this, God is probing and testing and examining the hearts of his people. And and the fear on the nation's faces is right, isn't it? For money is their God. Money is all there is. But for us, God is probing, testing, examining, isn't he, the hearts of his people. For sometimes the days of giving out of our abundance run dry. And then we discover if we want to give out of the overflow of our full-hearted dependence on God. Oh, it is an opportunity, isn't it? You won't hear this anywhere else. These days are an opportunity for some of us for newly costly giving. It's true, isn't it? Some people are worried about the cost of living, but honestly, their homes are full of so much stuff that their abundance is preaching to their fears and they cannot hear it. Here's the third principle. Number three, waste reveals worth. Just flick forward another couple of chapters. Chapter 14 Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And just as you turn to it, here's the question. Why is it that through all the ages of church church history, every age of redemptive history, the Old Testament church, the New Testament church, why is it that when people gather to worship, they have always brought their money? Always. Why is that? Why have an offering in church? Let's read together. While he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, reading from verse 3, as he was reclining at table, a woman came 
with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Here is a woman who takes something very, very precious and she spends it on Jesus, doesn't she? She just exhausts it on him. There there is nothing left of it after she has given it to him. Look at the word that's used in verse 4. She wastes it on Jesus. She wastes it. It's very likely that this was not a very big jar at all. But 300 denarii was the equivalent of a year's wages. So whatever your annual salary is, imagine taking that and in one go, one hit, it's gone. It's very possible this nard was a family heirloom, something that had been in the family for years. Perhaps there's sentimental value as well as monetary value. Uh, And she breaks it. Pours it on Jesus' head. A public display of giving the very best that she has. The most precious thing that she has. And treating this man in front of her as worth every penny of this. Do you see the principle, friends? Waste reveals worth. Waste reveals worth. What looks like waste to others, to her looks like worth. Jesus is worth everything to her, all to her. The the best she has, she spends on him. Oh, it is a beautiful principle in life, isn't it? It's a a beautiful principle with God. If you want to know where your heart is with your money in relation to your money, look at what you spend most of it on. It's not the bit given to God that shows where your heart is. It's where we waste money. Same things each week, each month. The things that get the most attention. The the things that I cannot live without that I must have and must spend on. That is what reveals worth, doesn't it? Think about it in life. If you want to evaluate a relationship, how much time does the person waste on you? Do, Do you get a bit of them or a lot of them? The couple that wastes time together stays together. It's my marriage advice. It's all I say to couples now. Waste time together throughout life. All of me for all of you this Saturday. No phone, no email, nothing. You and me, I'm all yours. You know, think about that celebrity that when you were younger that you, you queued a concert or something, whatever. You queued for hours and hours just to glimpse a sight of them, maybe to touch them as they were coming out from the car into the concert venue. You queued for hours. You wasted all that time just to get a glimpse of them. When you saw them, you were so amazed you nearly fainted. 
how much time did they spend on you when they saw you? My brother and his wife, when they lived in Cambridge, they once queued all day long in the freezing cold, sub-zero temperatures, to get, to get in to watch carols at King's, King's College in Cambridge. Have you ever done that? The, the, the time that you waste, the money that you spend, because the thing that you are after is worth it. The question in Mark chapter 14, this astonishing story, the question is this, what does this woman see that no one else can see? Why does she do what she does? Why does she esteem Jesus so much? Why is he worth all of this to her? Jesus tells us, doesn't he? Verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Ah, See, if your best friend, your closest loved one, was on death row and facing execution, you you knew you had a week week left with them, what would you be willing to spend on them in the final days of their life? It's it's not an abstract question. It's not an abstract thing to imagine. It happens all the time. A loved one is dying of cancer. The, The end is... The end is drawing close. And I see this all the time. People take, they they scramble together, they find 10,000 pounds, they take it out of the bank and they go and spend it on the holiday of a lifetime. If you see that happening, who who in their right mind would go up to that person who spent the money and say, listen, that that person is about to die. Why are you wasting that money on them? That, that holiday, that they're not going to be here for long. Why, why the waste? No, we would never, ever say that, would we? It's the opposite, isn't it? That the, the closer that death encroaches, the greater the value of the life becomes. And she, she only sees that the worth of this man is slowly coming into crystal clear view. She alone sees it. Oh, it it is an astonishing episode. Jesus is at Bethany here, verse 3. He is outside Jerusalem, outside his capital city that will reject him. He is in the, the house of Simon the leper. And it is a woman who sees what he is worth. Oh, she sees because the agonizing process of Jesus being abandoned is beginning here. This woman can see that a tomb is being cut. This woman can see that a stone is being hewn. How does she see this? You know that John's Gospel tells us that this unnamed woman here was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. This woman is doing what she is doing because she has stood beside the Lord Jesus at her brother's tomb, and she has seen Jesus flare his nostrils in anger as he stared at death. Oh, it is an astonishingly beautiful picture. See, in John's Gospel, when Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus, do you know why Jesus wept? John says he was deeply moved and troubled. He is not weeping for mere grief at Lazarus's death. No, How absurd would that be? For he is about to raise Lazarus from death. 
No, Jesus wept because he was railing against death itself. He goes like a champion to war to fight death. He flares his nostrils in anger because the eternal Son who knew only life at the Father's side was now days away from entering a tomb himself. What did Jesus say at the tomb? I am the resurrection and the life. I will enter death and I will destroy it from the inside out. And Mary, Mary got it. Mary grasped it. This man is going to die to kill death. And I love him for it. Oh, I love him for it. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you can see it as we stare at this together. Why do we handle money in church? Why is it right for churches to take up an offering? It's because ever since this event happened, God's people have seen that the worship of Jesus involves giving to Jesus. And it doesn't involve giving to Jesus in our heads as an idea. It it involves our hands and our wallets, our homes. It, It involves us giving to him the very best that we have. Now, it's true, isn't it? Week by week, most of us in this room are going to give electronically. But not everybody will give that way. And we want everyone to be able to give. Electronic is good because it allows you to plan. It allows you to be deliberate, to be regular, to be generous in how you give and what you give. But friends, even if most of us give like that, here is the reason why, why a time to give should be part of our worship, shouldn't it? For it allows me every week during the offering to simply ask this question. What is Jesus worth to me? What is Jesus worth to me? It's always the case that what we give reveals what we think he's worth. Always. You, 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 you cannot escape it. If you are not giving a large amount in a costly way, if you're not giving a small amount in a costly way, you are displaying what Jesus is worth to you. You, you just are. It, it's gospel maths. It's how it works. What you give to him displays his worth to you. And the offering as part of our worship is my weekly chance in the quietness as that bag is, the plate is passed, whatever it is, it is my moment to recalibrate my heart. Where am I with you, Lord? Am I like Mary? Or am I sitting there in verse 4? Look at, look at the emotions in verse 4. There were some who said to themselves, indignantly you know there's one commentator who said this he said if these people in verse 4 had known the moment they were in and the person they were with they would not have thought it wise to elevate the worth of the poor above the person of Jesus is that what they do why wasn't this money given to the poor And they do not know what moment they are in. It's quite something, isn't it, to say like she is doing, that Jesus is worth more than the poor. 
That's what she's saying, isn't it? That is quite something to say, friends, for do you know what? The poor are worth an awful lot to God. The poor are worth an awful lot to God. Open your Bible, read it, read it through from start to end, and you learn something pretty quickly, pretty clearly. You do not mess with the poor in the Bible. You do not mess with the poor, for God is watching. You do not trample over the widow. The, 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 the reason I was saying to the children about why God hates going to church read Isaiah read Malachi it is what the people are doing to the poor even as they come to church no you do not trample over the widow the orphan the refugee the poor for God cares for the weak and the oppressed no one thinks as highly of the poor as God does you want to give your money to the poor friends you are doing a magnificent thing a wonderful thing So isn't verse 9 then truly stunning? Isn't verse 9 incredible? Truly I say to you, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I want you to know, says Jesus, from this day onwards, the world will know her story for elevating my worth above the worth of the poor. Wow. Can you feel what is happening here? Jesus is not demeaning the poor, is he? He's not against giving money to the poor. It's just Jesus knows what people think of him. Jesus knows when people know who he is. Jesus knows whether we love him or hate him or are bored with him or couldn't care less about him. And he knows that people who are not captivated by him always, always find good reasons to not spend a lot on him. I mean, friends, look again at verse 4. Aren't aren't these people saying this? Aren't they saying, doesn't this woman know there's a cost of living crisis? Isn't that what they're saying? Some people out there are really struggling to make ends meet. And she does this. Surely surely we should be meeting those needs. I mean, that's the church's job, isn't it? That's what religion is for, isn't it? To feed the poor, the hungry. And Jesus has just had the family inheritance wasted on him. What good is that going to do anyone? Whose belly will that fill? Why give to a church? Why give to a church building project of all things? A building, what's that going to do? Why why give to Rory and Seb heading off to Relay, heading off to share the gospel? Why give to those things and not to the poor? Here's why. Here's the dynamic. Because Jesus knows that when you see his worth first, when you see his worth first, that it is the gospel of his life-giving death that needs to be proclaimed in the whole world. And in other words, when people love him for who he is and what he is worth and what he has done, then and only then will we love the poor properly. That, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the dynamic is here. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is this. 
love your neighbor as yourself. I want to say to you, friends, all over the world, God's people put those things the other way around. Well-meaning people put those things the other way around. Love of neighbor first. Love of God. Well, we'll come to that. That will follow. No, where you focus on the neighbor and you say, we'll get to you, God, later, you soon forget God completely. Isn't it true? Don't we know it's true in our own hearts that where you love Jesus first, then what you find is people just giving and giving and spending themselves. And from the abundance of their giving to him and love for him, oh, look, there's now an extra seat at the table. There's food to share with those in need. Come in, come and eat with us. There's money to spare. Isn't it true? Churches that lose the gospel but love social action are always, always struggling to raise money for their social action. And it's because there is no sight of Christ and His grace and the gospel that would ever make people want to give away the best that they have, never mind give away a few quid to a project. No, when I see who He is, there is nothing I am not willing to give to Him. And all of life fits in behind that. Very few people in life have a problem with too much wealth or too much sex or too much influence, but plenty of people have a very big problem with too much religion. A little bit of Jesus in moderation, that's fine. I can put him on the shelf here along with the house and along with the middle class lifestyle and the, the, great, the great school for my children and the set number of holidays. He, he can fit in with all of that. Very few people have a problem with that. And as you go through life, you will see that this is true. You will find Christian people doing tidy, respectable, guarded, good giving to Jesus and little lavish giving to Jesus. By lavish, I mean costly giving, not size of gift giving. It's just a principle of life, isn't it? Where you find little lavish giving to Jesus, then despite what we say with our lips, we find little worth for Jesus. I want, I want to finish with this. Come back to Mark chapter 10. Here is, here is a beautiful thing for us to know. Mark chapter 10, the story again of the rich man. Did you notice tucked into it, verse 21? I have found it convicting, humbling this week, reading these passages, perhaps the same for you this morning as we look at our lives, our fears, our hopes, our worries. What is the Lord Jesus like with us wherever we are this morning, whoever we are? Verse 21, and Jesus looking at this man, what what does he do? Rebuke him, demean him, belittle him, despise him, tut, tut, tut at him. Jesus looking at him, loved him. He loved him. Even though he's getting something wrong and even though Jesus can see his heart disease and see there's a very big problem here, Jesus loved him. Oh, friends, there is a rebuke, isn't there? So often for hypocrites and for false pretense or for trampling of others, but there is never a rebuke for sincerity, however mistaken. Wherever you are today in your walk, 
with the Lord Jesus. He loves you. What he wants to do is recalibrate our hearts. And for the disciple who wants to follow him, the disciple who wants to learn, who wants to change, who wants to grow, who wants to give, oh, there is nothing, nothing but love. Amen.